0: If you would, this evening turn once again to the book of 1 Corinthians. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the first 13 verses. This seems to be another of those topics that began in chapter 7, where Paul writes, now about those things you wrote about. In other words, the church was asking some questions to Paul and inquiring about different topics. And this topic really introduces a three-chapter section that will focus particularly on spiritual gifts and worship in the assembly of God's people. It appears to be that in Corinth there was all kinds of interesting things going on in worship, and it was uh, somewhat, uh, not only perhaps destructive, but also uh getting people away from the main thing that they were supposed to be doing in worshiping the Lord. And so he addresses this topic beginning with chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says... Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. As we consider these words, let us turn to the Lord briefly in prayer. Lord, may these words fall upon believing ears. May they also fall on those who would seek to use these words to grow in their faith. And Father, we pray that the words spoken here would be consistent with your own or else pass away and never be heard from again. Lord, remind us of these promises of grace And remind us that in Christ we are all one. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would, just for a minute, I don't know that this is the best illustration. When I was writing it, I thought this kind of breaks down in several places. But imagine for a minute that we had really developed a new, reliable, workable, alternative source of power to power automobiles. There would be a whole transformation of fleets of cars and a whole different way of doing things. Imagine that this new way was better in every way, both for people who wanted to have a certain type of car and have power and all of the whistles that go with the cars that they want, and also those that thought of the practical needs of a car. Imagine that everything was better in every way. Would we have a group who who refused to try the new? Would we focus on the details of the car and forget about the wonderful miracle of this new vehicle? Would we curse the new and embrace the old, or vice versa? Well, following Christ was a much more radical change than having a new power source for an automobile. You see here, following a New savior, a new lord, and a new master was truly a radical life change for those who were called from a pagan past of idolatry worship, of idol worship. And so here, in this passage, he begins this section of spiritual gifts by talking about being led by another power. Then he will mention the gifts of the one spirit and mention, of course, that there is one body in the spirit, But look at how he starts this. He says, concerning spiritual gifts, of course the interesting thing here, the gifts is a supplied word, so it could possibly be rendered spiritual people or spiritual things. But he says, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. And then instead of going right into the teaching on spiritual gifts, he says this. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. In other words, he's reminding them of the power that they used to submit to. The power of mute idols. He says you were led astray to these idols. And of course, these idols could not talk back. They could not contribute anything to the people. They were merely statues or idols made by men of wood or stone or precious costly metal and so they would worship them they would give offerings to them and in essence they would be led astray by that practice of idol worship and he's telling the corinthians that for the most part all of them fell into that category now were there some jewish believers who had come to christ who did not have the background of idol worship it is certainly possible but for the most part these individuals were those who came from a culture and a community of idolatry. And they were led by that power. Of course, Paul has already described that power as being demonic. In one sense, idols do not exist. On the other sense, they are demonic. And so he therefore is saying, you were led by these idols. But verse 3 makes all the difference, doesn't it? Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Notice the difference. Those in the Holy Spirit are different than those who are led by idols. Now why does he address this particular thing? There's all kinds of debate among commentators. Was it a hypothetical situation that Paul is talking about? Or was there actually someone in the church, perhaps, as one commentator writes, Leon Morris suggests that there was probably someone in the church attempting to give prophecy or to utter wisdom or knowledge, and in doing so, rather than being filled with the Holy Spirit, he was just getting the doctrines wrong, and instead of calling Jesus being the one who took the curse for us, he said that Jesus was accursed and perhaps that means that those who had the discernment to discern between spirits would recognize that this person's prophecy was not true because it says no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is anathema or anathema Jesus is the term here and of course by saying this he doesn't say that hey you're not going to say these words together because when we read the scriptures we say them don't we What he's saying here is that someone will utter these things in the power of the Spirit as a true statement. They will never say Jesus is accursed. On the other hand, he says this, no one is able to say Lord Jesus or Jesus is Lord unless in the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, again, We recognize there may be those who will say Jesus is Lord who in their hearts don't really mean it and don't have the Holy Spirit. So when he says these words or writes these words to the Corinthians, he's reminding them it's not just saying these things. It's actually from your heart in the Holy Spirit proclaiming these things as truth. Jesus is Lord. You see, they were led now by another power. When in the past the powers that they were led by, pagan idolatry and the like, would lead them to consider Jesus as someone who was not who he said he was, but instead was cursed, they now were led by the Holy Spirit who would say that Jesus is Lord. And this was the true difference Because by saying Jesus is Lord, this is a complete lifestyle change of what they were used to. Their Lord and Master in the past were the people, the idols, the traditions, the practices of their community, which was opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But now they're claiming Jesus as their Lord and Master, that because Christ has saved them from their sin, out of love for him, they would obey his commands. What a wonderful, wonderful change this would be. I got to thinking about what it would be like, and it's not quite the same, but imagine that you're working in the Coca-Cola factory. You rise up through the Coca-Cola factory, and you are going into management and rising to the executive top, and all along, you're thinking in your heart, I really like Pepsi better. Now we laugh about that, but what has happened in the early church is evidently there were some among them who had claimed to follow Christ when all along they still their heart was still in idol worship. And there were those who perhaps would proclaim to say Jesus is Lord when all along they had no intention of following the doctrines and the practices proclaimed by Scripture You see, they went, if they were truly believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, they went from cursing Jesus to declaring him Lord. From direct opposition and idolatry to submitting themselves to the scriptures. They're now led by another power, the Holy Spirit, who convicts and convinces us of our sin and who leads us in the way of righteousness. And so then he gets to the topic of gifts. He says there are varieties of gifts. This word for gifts is unlike the first verse. The first verse is the word spiritual. The second verse is the word coming from grace, charisma or charismata, these gifts of the spirit by free grace. And he says these things. First of all, there are a variety of gifts, but they have the same spirit. In other words, he begins with this statement. When you think about spiritual gifts, and here we're going to look at some of the different gifts that are on this list, he will say there's a great variety of them, but they all come from one source. They all come from the Holy Spirit. Then he says, verse 5, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. The word service sometimes can be ministries, or service to God of some sort. It is it, some sort. It is recognized that this word is particularly associated with worship and religious practices. And here it is: these services have one Lord. In other words, there's not one person who's exhibiting one type of service gift and is uh, following some. A person in the church or some movement in the church, and somebody else who has another gift, either in the same area or a different area, who is going to do something in opposition to the other. They all are working together under the one Lord and Master Jesus Christ. Then he says, there are a variety here. In the ESV, it says of activities, the word is workings or operations, but there is one God, who puts them all into operation. Now as you look at these three types of varieties, varieties of gifts but one spirit, varieties of services but one Lord, varieties of workings but one God, sometimes people focus on all these different types of gifts in order to have the appropriate lists and all these things, but I want to draw your attention to the people or the the God behind these gifts. You'll notice here this is a Trinitarian formula. One spirit, one Lord, referencing Jesus, and one God, referencing the Father. You see, these gifts are from the triune God, who is the source, the master, and the one who puts them into operation. He is the one behind all these things. Gifts are always to be understood, to be under the control of, and from the source, with the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Father from the Spirit. Then he goes on. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. First of all, a reminder here, to each is given. What does that mean? It seems to indicate that every believer, each one, will receive a gift. And in fact, we see that in connection with the other lists of gifts, including Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 as well. In fact, he seems to indicate here that everyone who is a believer will receive a manifestation or exhibition of the Holy Spirit. And of course, these are not to make that person feel like they're better than somebody else. It's not for them to be able to do their own thing. It says here, it is for the common good. In other words, the gifts that God gives you, coming from the Holy Spirit, under the Lordship of Christ, by the effects of God putting them into operation, these things are done not so that you'll feel better, but so that all the people in the church will benefit as a result of the use of these gifts. And here are some of the gifts this seems to be where a lot of the modern church seems to focus is on this list of gifts. And so here they are. One is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. And it goes on. But Let's look at a few of these briefly. Although I tend to think that this list is much like Paul's other list. The list is not for us to focus so much on the list as it is to focus on the teaching about the list. You see, he's reminding us who's in charge of these gifts and where they come from. Not necessarily to focus on the gifts themselves, but here he tells us here are some of the gifts. First one is the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom, of course, being where someone could get up and proclaim the wisdom of God and particularly focus on Jesus Christ, who is our wisdom. The second one is the word of knowledge. We don't seem to really know exactly how that differs from the word of wisdom. Perhaps it's a synonym, perhaps it means some other type of knowledge, or perhaps some other uh, section or bisection of what wisdom is. Then he says the next one is faith. Again, by the same spirit. Now on the one hand, Paul is pretty clear, faith is a gift from God. He says in Ephesians 2, he says faith is a gift of God. It's not by works so that anyone should boast, it is the gift of God. And yet here there seems to be a gift that gives someone a measure of faith that might be different than saying exactly the faith that saves. Perhaps this is some type of faith that spiritually is unusual. And so here it is, someone has this gift. Another person has the gift of healing. You know what this might be. The gift of being able to heal someone of some physical disease or something like that. The next one, number five, is the work of power. In our translation, it says the working of miracles. It's always interesting to me. The word power in Scripture is the word from which we get the human or the English human word, the English word, dynamite. It is a dynamite uh, gift. It is the work of power. In essence, it might be something like those in the early church who were given the power uh, to avoid snake bites or other things like that that are described either at the end of Mark or in other places in Scripture. Then number six is the gift of prophecy. Of course, prophecy, not necessarily foretelling the future, but being revealed the word of God to give to others. Often not just foretelling the future, but forthtelling to the present. And here it is. This gift is the only gift that is on all three traditional lists, in case you're counting. The next gift, number seven, is discernment of spirits. The actual word here is judgment through spirits. In other words, someone may be able to tell. By god's gracious gift whether someone is legitimately speaking in the spirit of god or is speaking by a demon discernment of spirits number eight nations kind of an interesting greek word to use here but meaning kinds of languages the word here can mean tongues or languages i seem to Consider that my understanding of this particular word is that it was a known tongue, perhaps not known to the congregation there. It would be like if we started breaking out in a language that nobody understood here from another country or another place and someone would have that gift to speak in another language. And then the last one is the interpretation of those languages. Now again... He goes through this list. And sometimes what we do is we compile all kinds of ways in which we try to figure out how we have those certain gifts and how we can use them and so forth and so on. Does God want us to figure out what gifts we have or are going to have? I don't know. But I do know he gives them. And I do know that some of these gifts were particularly important for the early church. Some of them may not exist today. This is the reformed position is that the particular gifts, like the working of miracles or prophecy or power, these particular things may not be in the church today for various reasons. But all of these gifts, whether the word of wisdom, whether faith, whether the word of knowledge, any of these things, what are they for? That's the focus of this passage, not the list itself. Just like when Paul gives a list of commendable things or a list of abominable things, the focus is not so much on the list itself as what God wants us to do as a result of these things. And so here it is. What does he say? Verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Again, all these are put into operation by the same spirit. And the spirit distributes to each just as he wishes. I don't know about you all. My family is a book family. We love books. And we have over the years read probably hundreds of books. In fact, at Christmas time and at birthdays, often we're looking at books to give us presents. Presents. And when you look at the books, if you pick a book up and you look at it, of course it's made up of pages, isn't it? You don't have a book if you don't have any pages. And when these pages are put together in a book, a regular book, a novel or something like that, there is usually one writer. Is that not true? One author or one writer. But also there has to be an editor for that book. Now some books, they have several editors, but many books have one editor. They also have one machine operator. Today, there is someone who does this electronically with computers and equipment and all those types of things, and there's someone who operates that machine to produce the book. Now, all three of those people were important, weren't they? If you didn't have the writer, you wouldn't have a book. If you didn't have the editor, you wouldn't have the content that was presentable to the reader. And if you didn't have the machine operator, your physical book wouldn't exist, would it? All of these are important and necessary. But aren't they quite different? One takes creative skills, one takes technical skills, and one takes the physical and competent skills of someone to print the book. They're all important and necessary, but quite different. But all of them have the same purpose, don't they? to print a quality product. And so it is in the church. We're all given different gifts. Sometimes we may not even be aware of what particular gifts we've been given. Is it true that these are temporary gifts for a time? Perhaps we're given one gift at one time and another gift at another time? I don't know. Is it that we're given one gift for the whole uh, Christian, uh, Christian life that I have on this earth? Perhaps that's true. But I do know this. They all have the same purpose, don't they? The purpose is for the common good so that by God's leadership and direction, the same spirit apportioning those as he wills, it is so that the church will be built up and that God's kingdom would advance. You see, there's one body, in the Spirit. This begins the next section in in my ESV Bible. It has another headline, although I think it fits in the section we've just looked. He said, verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. In other words, here it is. There's one body with many members. Each of those members given gifts by God for his glory. Wonderful gifts. Gifts in order for us to understand scriptures and encourage one another and teach one another and all those things we'll see in the other lists. The other list, gifts like teaching and administration and other things like that. Those gifts are to build up the church. And this one body with the many members gifted in so many different ways is a reminder that the body signifies Christ himself. He describes the church as his body, where he is the head. And we are gifted in such a way so that the other members of the body gain advantage from the use of our gifts, just like a human body, after all. How important are the fingers to touch? How important is the tongue for taste? How important are the ears for hearing and the eyes for seeing and so forth? There is one body with many members. And then verse 13, in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. You see, in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. On the one hand, you think, well, of course that's true. We don't baptize anywhere else besides the church. Here is a reminder that the church brings us, or that the spirit brings us together into the church. It's the spirit who organizes the church, it's the spirit who has called us from different backgrounds and different places. It's the spirit who mashes us all together. It's that same spirit who gives each of us each of us the gifts that are so necessary in all kinds of diversity and variety in order for the church to function and to grow together and to minister the gospel to the world. In one spirit, we were brought into one body despite our ethnicity. He says here, Jew or Greek. In other words, those who had the promises, those who had all the advantages of the Old Testament and the covenant promises of God, those who came to Christ through that spirit, were brought into the church. On the other hand, those who were led astray by pagans, worshipping false gods, having no knowledge of the promises or the understanding of who God was amongst his covenant people, when God called them, he brought them together. And they were baptized into one body from these different backgrounds. This is diversity, isn't it? This is something that our nation is longing for, is to understand the value of diversity. And here it is, God has demonstrated to us the value of diversity, bringing from all different ethnicities those who would believe in Jesus Christ and have one purpose and one united body. despite the status of freedom or bondage. Today, we might describe these in different ways in our culture, but we know in their culture, there were literal slaves. There were literally those who were either slaves having to serve another because of their legal status as not being free, and there were those who were free. And these particular stratus of society did not necessarily associate with one another on a normal basis. In fact, those who were free would look down on the slaves, and those who were slaves would know they had no right to be amongst the highest of society. But in Christ, guess what? They're one. They're one in Christ. This is true diversity and unity. You know, there's a battle in our country... When I was growing up, there was a philosophy called the melting pot philosophy. You know what it was. E pluribus unum, out of the many, one. This was diversity and background, but unity as a nation. There were some things that united us, like the Constitution or like some of the great traditions and rights and values of our country, but now there's a different philosophy out there. The new philosophy is not E pluribus unum, But it is maintain your separate identities and we are all diverse and cannot come together. You see, that's not necessarily what we have in the church. There are those of us that come from very different backgrounds. Here in Myrtle Beach, there's the North people and the South people. We know those who are native to Myrtle Beach and those who came in from other places. There are those who have come from backgrounds where they've had great influence in other places, and there are those who have come in having nothing. There are those who are men, those who are women, those who are young, those who are old, those who have lives of quite active professions, and those who have lives of sedentary professions. Whatever it is, when God brings them together, they are one people of God, one body for one purpose. Yes, we will maintain some distinctives. We have different histories. We have different ethnicities. We have different ways in which we look, feel, taste, or whatever it might be. But in Christ, it says, all of these members, even with a great diversity of gifts given after coming to faith in Jesus Christ, even despite this diversity, we were all in the one spirit made to drink. What? Do you know what that means? It means, first of all, that we were all made to drink of the Holy Spirit. That is the Spirit that changes us into a new life of following Jesus Christ. Into the the water of life provided to us. Remember, Jesus would say on a great feast day, he would get up in the temple and he would tell the people, that out of those who believed in him would flow springs of living water. When he sat down with the woman at the well in Samaria, he would tell her, I have to offer you water that gives you eternal life. And she said, Lord, give me that water. You see, we were all made to to drink of the Spirit, recognizing there is one body, there is one group, there is one covenant people of God. You see, the focus of this passage is really not so much on the list itself. Yes, there is a list. Yes, we can describe some of the ways in which the church in Corinth were using these gifts to glorify God and build one another up. But the focus is not on the gifts, but the purpose of the gifts and the unity of the body. You see, they were... displaying and utilizing these gifts, sometimes in ways that distracted people from worship, sometimes in ways in which someone outside their assembly would come in and think they were all crazy because they couldn't understand anything that was going on. They were striving against each other, some thinking that their gift was better than someone else's gift. And there was a mess all through the church, and so when Paul describes this list of gifts, he's recognizing the diversity of gifts that are here but he's saying these gifts are for the good of the body under the authority of the triune God. No one gift is more or less important because they are all from God for the one body. I don't know about you, but in our marriage, the scripture says the two shall become one. I have to tell you, our marriage would fall apart without my wife. Sometimes I think my gifts and my contributions to the marriage aren't as important as hers, but scripture says they are. And here we are, just as we are together for the purpose of glorifying God as one, so it is, we in the church, called by God, baptized into the family of God, given a drink of the living water of the Holy Spirit, We are all to be together for the good of the church and the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, as we consider this teaching, Lord, sometimes we look and we say, well, there is a church over there that needs this teaching. But, Lord, we all need this teaching. For sometimes we're jealous of others' gifts. Sometimes, Lord, we think that our gifts are less important. Sometimes we use the gifts for our own purposes rather than for your glory. Lord, sometimes we misuse all the bounties you give us and we maintain differences rather than seek unity and peace. Father, we pray that you will convict us of our sin. You will bring us together. You will teach us and remind us on a daily basis of the importance of these gifts being used for your glory and your kingdom.